Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Uh, yeah, we, we all have our little turns of phrases. So please send me your, your comments, your questions, your little anecdotes. I'll put you on the spot like I put Kim on the spot here at some point as well. These are good for us to be able to learn from. Funny little anecdotes like that teach us a lot. Uh, and what other parents use is always helpful to us to, to be able to adapt into our own. We can do some uh, fusion of our own, taking what we learn from other people and applying it in our own lives as we walk along and try to do these things together. Let's pray and we'll get started. Thanks, Father, for this morning, the opportunity to uh, consider more about what your scriptures teach us about parenting, about our children, about ourselves. Would you uh, bring your Holy Spirit to this place this morning to uh, teach us through your scriptures what you would have us to learn? Help us to be uh, wise and capable parents, uh, that we would have the strength for the task that you've called us to. It is an important one, Father. You've entrusted it to us, and so you will give us the ability and the strength to, to do it and to do it well. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in my ever, ever long quest to search the internet for good things on parenting, I came across an article from the New York Times this week. And actually, I don't know what date it was published because it didn't have a date on the actual publication. That uh, wonderful body that is the New York Times didn't uh, deem it to, to put a, a date on there. But the, the title is How to Be a Modern Parent. And it must have been 2020, 2021, or I think probably out of 2021 because it's talking about coming out of COVID. So you can kind of date the, the article itself. Nonetheless, uh, I, if you want to know, by the way, I googled best, inter- best advice on parenting on the internet. That's how I came upon the, this article, which was just a lot of fun that way. Uh, but the article was interesting, and it's not, uh, it was a little surprising. I, I wanted to get up here and just lambast the New York Times for being stupid, because that's, that's always a good thing to be able to do. But uh, there were a, a couple good things in there. The, the good news they told us up front is, quote, there is no one right way to raise a child. Oh, that, that's comforting news, that you can do it in a bunch of different ways, and not all of them are the wrong way. According to the Times, quote, research tells us that to raise self, a self-reliant child with a high self-esteem, it is more effective to be authoritative than authoritarian. You want your child to listen, respect, and trust you rather than fear you. Um, you want to be supportive, but not a hovering helicopter parent. Well, that's... Not terrible advice, I guess. I can tell you, though, I have my hackles up every time I read the New York Times, so I'm always looking for, for what might be coming around the corner. This is not necessarily a bad, but I think probably an unreliable approach, considering its worldview, but it's not entirely without out merit. Uh, there's some advice for how you get your baby to sleep in the article, what to do if your toddler's a picky eater, although I'd wager that their advice would vary a little bit from mine, at least on, on that front. Um, we believe, maybe like you do, that we make one meal for our family, and you can eat it or you can go hungry, either one. But if it's on your plate, you're, you're going to eat it at some point. I was a little bit more strict about this when my kids were a little bit younger. Uh, Jonathan, who was and continues to be our most picky eater, he fought me one too many times about the food that was on his plate. And, of course, the food eventually got cold, and cold food is a whole lot harder to go down than it is when it's hot food. But he was distracted by the fun of the table and ever the extrovert. He was, uh, the social interaction at the table he was receiving there continued to detract and distract him from his own obedience. So we just changed the environment for him. He said to me yesterday, I was telling him I was going to tell the story, that uh, the change of locale was, quote, the loneliest experience possible. 
which I felt like I had accomplished my goal. But I'm not entirely sure I agree with that. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the garage by myself and always found it rather therapeutic. <laughs> but then again, I was never there to finish my meal. So the New York Times has an opinion on discipline as well, as you might guess. They suggest that you should avoid physical punishment of any kind and advise that we, quote, think praise rather than punishment. I'm not sure I agree with that, and I'm not sure, more importantly, that Scripture would agree with that either. The paper dives into parenting for morality, too. It could get really bad, but it wasn't as bad as I might have thought. They said this, that all parents have in common that they wish to raise children who are good. The only problem is they never go on to define what good might be. They suggest instead that, uh, they, and they take no firm position on this, that some parents rely upon uh, spiritual traditions and participation in religious services, but then they end somewhat casually with, above all, however, children learn your values by watching how you live. Children learn your values by watching how you live. There's also, uh, there was a push in the article to take time for, quote, self-care. That's a trigger word for me, self-care. So I get, I get a little bit annoyed every time I read that, that phrase or hear someone utter it. Parenting is difficult. It's exhausting. It's supposed to be. We talked about that last week. It's important, the authors of the article urge, to keep attention on ourselves as well. And I was thinking that this would be a little bit more of, of worldly advice, something to do with wine at some point, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> but the authors actually surprised me by pushing parents to engage in self-care that focuses on time with their children, which I was actually glad to see. They said, whether you're taking time to paint or dance or knit with friends or to try, or to, try to save the world, you are acting and living your values and your loves, and those are messages that you owe to your children. That's it's not terrible. You know, it'd be better if maybe you're doing it with your children, but you know, at least they're seeing you do stuff. Well, the times is not exactly wrong. Our children are always set on receive at all times. I mean, they're, they're just they're like a satellite dish, man. They're just taking in the signals all the time. Influences come at them hard and fast, and those influences originate with those that they spend the most time with, and that happens to be you, their parents, their family. Except there's an aspect to that influence that's entirely missing from the New York Times. And I think that we would all expect that to be missing when it comes to publication like the Times. What the authors never really deal with, what they entirely avoid, is what we have to consider the most, and I want to consider the most in this, ca this class today. That's the human heart. And this would likely be consistent with almost any secular advice you might read about parenting. The majority of parenting advice, if you Google the internet today or pick up a copy at Barnes & Noble or go into the section that, that has all those things. Is Barnes & Noble still a thing? I, I assume so. I, the majority of that advice consists of what we can kind of broadly categorize as behavior modification. Behavior modification. We want to make sure that our kids are behaving correctly and so we'll take certain steps to ensure that they're doing the right things in the right way. And you're going to have to do the right things in the right way to make that accomplish. Some of that's very useful. I think our children, even children from Christian homes, ought to be raised to be respectful. You know, they should be taught when it's appropriate to be loud and when it's appropriate to, to, to be quiet and how to sit through important services like church services or Sunday school classes or concerts of any kind. Today's citizens, after all, are yesterday's children. They're going to have to grow up to have responsibilities. Those responsibilities are going to take them to work or to uh, some level of society. They're going to have to be voters and know how to engage the process when it comes to being a citizen of this country. And, and, and those responsibilities, responsibilities will not tolerate, or at least they should not tolerate, uh, violence, lying, rude behavior of any kind. There's certain amounts of behavior modification that is necessary 
to us as parents as we raise our children. So I don't entirely reject the concept of behavior modification, but recall what we learned last week, that our goal as parents when it comes to being biblical parents and engaging in biblical parenting is not merely to raise polite, well-behaved children, although that could be and will hopefully be a byproduct of our parenting. But our goal as parents, as engaging in biblical parenting, is to raise sons and daughters to be our brothers and sisters in in Christ. Our, Our brothers and sisters in the family that's led by our elder brother, Jesus, that is sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and that is headed by God the Father. That, that's our goal as parents. And if that's our goal as parents, from that perspective, from what it, of the perspective of what it means to be a parent, uh, to parent a child biblically, if all we do is behavior modification, well, our parenting at best is incomplete. And so we've got to go deeper to those things. Ted Tripp, in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, puts it this way. He says, all behavior is linked to attitudes of the heart. Therefore, discipline must address attitudes of the heart. Parenting is concerned with shepherding the heart. You must learn to work from the behavior you see back to the heart, exposing heart issues for your children. In short, you must learn to engage them, not just to reprove them. In short, to put that down in a little bit shorter phrase, we have to deal with the heart. But in order to deal with the heart, let's figure out, let's remind ourselves what the Bible actually says about the heart. I'm going to, I'm going to go through a number of verses. You can try to keep up with me by flipping your pages. Remember, I've got two of my favorite sounds in the universe, Bible pages flipping and little children crying in services. Those are my, some of my favorite things I love to hear in the life of the church. Uh, you don't have to, though. I'll read them out loud for you. But if you want to keep up, uh, try Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Mark 7.21-23, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They come from the heart, and they defile a person. Our heart is filled with evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, all these bad things. They come from within, from out of the heart of man. Luke 6.45, the good person out of the treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the ma- his mouth speaks. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I'm going to jump back into more questions about that, but that, that, that verse always leaps out to me. I grew up, some of you know, I grew up, uh, my dad ran a retirement community, and so I grew up around old people all my life, and especially there was one floor that dealt with just Alzheimer's patients. And that could sometimes be a a place for a lot of um, interesting and sometimes funny situations. There's one man named Peter Nanfeld who had been the the president of the denomination that ran that that, uh, retirement community, a pastor, a very godly man. And uh, but but his heart, his head was gone, and he was um, he, every day he would propose to his wife over lunch. It was really quite sweet, right? But um, but he would also get very agitated, as 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 people with Alzheimer's tend to get because things don't match. And but when he got agitated, the nurses had learned that they would say, "Pete, look." Um, it actually, was Bob Nanfeld. Peter was his son. Sorry, Bob Nanfeld. Anyway, it doesn't matter to you. You don't know who the guy is. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Nanfeld, anyway, uh, they would say, look, Bob, would you go over here? So-and-so is having a hard time. W- would you go over there and just, just pray with him? And he would instantly stop whatever agitation he had and walk over to the patient in the wheelchair or whatever, kneel on the ground, and pray for that person. 
if I've ever seen a more beautiful expression of out of the over the heart overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I, I, I don't know what else to compare it to. I pray someday that that's what comes out of me when I lose my brain, right? Like I hope that's what's deep inside of me. I worry it's going to be something else entirely, but I, I hope and pray that out of the overflow of my heart, it's been so transformed by God Himself that that's what comes out of me when I lose all faculties of my mind. So, back on track, talking about the heart and and less uh, like warm fuzzies than we got from Mr. Nanfelt. There's also Jeremiah 17:9 that says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? Well, the scripture reveals to us from its earliest pages that we all have a heart problem. We, like our children, inherited this sinful condition of the heart. David reminds us in Psalm 51, verse 5, he says that I was, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my, my mother conceive me. Now, he's not talking about out of wedlock, childhood, parents. No, he, if you look at the rest of the context, he's saying, look, I was born a sinful human being. I was born in condemnation. I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. In Ephesians 4.18, Paul reminds us that apart from the work of Christ in our lives, we are darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is, within, that is in them, in us, due to the hardness of heart. We have a heart condition. We're still, our, our hearts are incapable of doing spiritual good. Now, there, there's a lot in that phrase that we could unpack. There's a lot of Latin phrases we could work through. We're going to set that aside for the moment uh, and, and go back and talk about original sin and it's an effect upon us and, and what that exactly means. We'll talk about that in a later class, perhaps. This is a class less on theology and more on parenting, so let's, let's just lay that aside. But it's still true. Our hearts in and of themselves are incapable of producing spiritual good. We're reliant upon the heart-enlivening work of Christ to do anything that resembles good in this world. Romans 8 verse 8 reminds us that in our flesh we, quote, cannot please God. In our sins, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are, quote, dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. More than that, we are also in bondage. As it says in John 8.34, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. One of my, uh, no, my favorite verses in all of Scripture and uh, speaks well to this. It's, it's Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27. It says, and I will give you, this is God speaking, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This external heart operation is critically important to us as we begin to understand our heart condition, uh, that, that, that we have this heart condition. And if it's if it remains unoperated upon by the work of Christ, our heart condition is not just mortally fatal, it is eternally fatal to all of us. So, so why do I spend so much time focusing in on our, 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 our heart condition, our, our genetic heart condition that we get from, from Adam? Well, the, the point of all this, is what this means for, for mom, what this means for dad, what it means for each of our individual children is that a necessary condition to being a human is to be corrupted in our heart. And if we are so corrupted, then parents, we must be aware that, that our parenting can and it will be influenced by our sinful condition of the heart. Uh, we're going to be tempted toward anger, even 
let's face it, we're going to be tempted towards favoritism, even amongst our children, because of the sinful conditions of our hearts. We're going to be we're tempted towards our own levels of dishonesty and questions of integrity in our lives. And left unchecked, our sinful hearts and parenting can move us from and not just the sinfulness of passive slothfulness, but also to the irreversible damage of violence. The, the, the overflow of that heart, whatever its state it might be, un, unchanged by the divine work of Christ, can lead to some very dark places for us as parents. And don't underestimate the heart. Remember, Jeremiah warned us that that heart is deceitful. And it's deceitful not just in and of itself, but it's deceitful above all things. Be aware of your heart condition. One's biological status as a parent, that you have managed to use your anatomy to achieve the human reproduction, that does not in and of itself make you holy. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, God the Father's choosing of you, and the placing of the seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life, as Ezekiel puts it, the removal of the heart of stone from your flesh, the provision of a heart of flesh within you, and the spirit superintendence of your soul that causes you to obey God's commands, only that divine work will resolve your heart problem, and it will only resolve your children's heart problem as well. So yes, let's take the advice of the New York Times, I suppose, and engage in a bit of self-care. But let's have that self-care be the care of ourselves upon our knees in the repentance of our sins, on our feet in obedience to Christ's commands, and within our soul in reliance upon the finished work of Christ in our hearts as humans and especially in our role as parents. So to summarize all of that, in short, our hum- humans are bestowed holiness with the title, I'm sorry, they're not bestowed holiness, I can read my own notes. We are not re- bestowed holiness with the title of mom or dad. We are made holy by the heart regenerating work of Christ. And that's the same thing for our children as well. We are made holy by the heart regenerating work of Christ, and so are our children. So, what does that mean? Well, if our children also have this same condition, if they've inherited that from our father Adam, uh, well, guess what? That little angel that we hold in our arms as infants that is so ruddy and sweet and, and looks innocent, well, he or she is in fact an enemy of Christ. Boy, I hate to put it in that terms, but this is what the, this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 58. Uh, it's probably, this passage has probably never graced the front of any birth announcement that has ever gone out. <laughs> But it does speak of the hard reality of these innocent bundles of joy that coo and gurgle at us all the time. Here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 58, 1 through 5. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Put that one on the wall of your nursery. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ears, so it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. Wow, we are estranged from the womb. That just doesn't seem to work on a quilt. You know? Estranged from who? Well, they're, they're estranged. Our children are estranged from God, from the God who created them, who actually did the knitting together of that person in the womb of his or her mother. From birth, we will answer for our own wickedness. This is what Ted Tripp says. He says it this way, Even a child in the womb and coming from the womb is wayward and sinful. We often are taught that man becomes a sinner when he sins, but the Bible teaches that a man sins because he is a sinner. 
Your children, this is a critical line, your children are never morally neutral, not even from the womb. Our children are never morally neutral, even from the womb. So the point of this really uplifting look at uh, how sinful we are is to orient ourselves in our own parenting. Deploying tools of behavior modification may be of some value to us. Our kids need the certain nutrients that they get from wholesome food in appropriate quantities. Children who are hellions and disobedient to their parents or uh, uh, of other places of authority, well, you know, they're going to grow to be unemployed or to fill a jail cell. So if we don't engage in a bit of behavior modification, uh, we're going to have a whole lot of problems into the future. But behavior modification alone is insufficient to produce future sons and daughters of the risen Christ. Our task as parenting is greater than just modifying their behavior. Uh, Pavlov can do that by ringing a bell. Our job is much more important than that. Uh, Our task is uh, more than insisting that they eat their vegetables or do their chores at home. We must get behind the behavior that we're seeing manifest in front of us and to the issue of the heart that has produced that very behavior. So there are two primary ways in which we begin to address the heart of our children. The the first way we're going to begin to address the heart of our children is to identify identify and cultivate the influences that will shape the heart of our children. We want to pay attention to the influences that are coming at our children. Some of these influences are within our control. You might call these offensive, meaning they're on offense, offensive weapons, not offensive as in bad. These are offensive tools that we can use to influence our children. Other influences are outside of our control, but against which we must be at least aware. Let's call these defensive influences, things that we need to be on guard about, sometimes even uh, overly defensive to protect against those. Uh, Those influences that require sort of this defensive posture in our lives towards our children Uh, should include and would include the culture in which we live. Uh, If you got any question about what that looks like, I invite you to download the Twitter app and scroll. I mean, it's not very hard to figure out. Uh, All the influences that are competing for the attention of ourselves and for our children, uh, the world around us is not neutral either, and they will compete for the attention of our children. Remember, your children are not morally neutral either, but they're going to be inclined towards the things that the world is trying to put in front of them. So pay attention there. Our duty in parenting concerning these outside influences should be rather obvious, right? Guard against what influence society has upon our children, wherever that's coming from. Uh, Our family structure and family history is sometimes not of our choosing either. We can call these defensive postures as well in a different sort of a way. Uh, we, what, we may not have any choice as to you know, whom we were born to and what structure we find ourselves within. Whether we live in a two-parent home may not be of our own choosing. If we have a history of family living in, uh, you know, in an unrighteous sort of a way, uh, we come from maybe a family of violence or have extended family that may not reject Christ outright, but frankly, they're probably deceived by worldly ideologies or even kind of 45 degrees off of orthodoxy, right? These are, these are things we may not have total control over, but we need to be on the guard about because they are influences that, that are going to address our children. So be aware and be on defense about what influences are coming in to your children. Biblical parenting recognizes these influences and accounts for them by, among other things, the ordinary means of grace. 
reading of our scriptures, living and worshiping in a community of believers, which we're doing even this morning, prayer, and, and all the other things that you know, the fundamentals of the faith, the, the early things you learn about being a Christian, hopefully at the knee of your parents, but perhaps even right here in our community, doing the fundamental things to be on guard against the attacks of, of the enemy and the influences that he's going to provide on our children. That's our defensive influence of strategy. Defensive, I think that's right. On offense, our offensive influences over our children are those things that we have a little bit of say over, right? So what do we demonstrate as valuable to our children? Where do we put our time throughout a given week? We've given a finite amount of time to uh, each of us every week. What do we demonstrate is valuable, that we invest our time within? Uh, what do we place importance upon? What do we value over other things? What is more important to spend our time upon what do we think is more important? How do we identify those layers of importance? That is a layer of influence we're providing to our children. Are we more, con are we more concerned with the traditions of, of men or the principles of Christ? How do we engage that? And what we say in answer to those things is going to be an influence to our children. What are the roles that we have as family members? What are the roles that our children play inside the family? Do they actually have a role inside the family? All these things are going to be ways that we are influencing, that we are shaping our children through certain influences that we give to them. Remember, these are satellite receivers, always set to receive. They're receiving what they see. How do we resolve conflict inside of our family? These are going to be things that we'll, we'll carry with our children, even to adulthood. And if anybody questions that, I, I got at least one engaged couple in the room, you're going to have to learn how to argue. You come from two different families that have influenced you on how to resolve conflict. My family was the right way to resolve conflict, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> that took us a good year to figure that one out. Look, all of these things are going to provide influence in our children. And ultimately, these influences are, are neither deterministic, meaning if we just account for the right influences of our children, they're going to turn out just fine. Nor are they indeterministic, meaning our children's experience is just experience, ineffective in terms of their future. It's neither of those two things. We, we cannot shelter our children from the environment in which they live, literally inside of our home, or operate outside of our home. At least we can't shelter them entirely, just to, uh, enough at least to create good people. Parenting is not formulaic. You don't add a little morality A and mix with character B, sprinkled with a dash of reason C, mix over time and get a wise adult. That, that's not how parenting works. To be sure, good, positive, moral, protective experiences are going to be very helpful. They're going to be even very beneficial to producing a productive, polite, smart adult. But the reason accounting for the influences of our children is insufficient for our concept of biblical parenting well, is that it fails to account for the core problem of our children, their heart. If we have our children in Sunday school every week, that's an influence. Uh, every week of their lives, if we homeschool them to keep them from the influences of secular thought, I think that's very important. Uh, delete our subscription to Disney Plus, probably a wise move. If we dress them in denim jumpers and flannel shirts, we may have polite children who know how to think through things very well, reason through the classics, recite Shakespeare as easily as they do scripture. But if we leave the heart unaddressed, if we fail to get behind that behavior and those influences, or worse, that we command the legalistic, this works-based righteousness, uh, if, we, if we command that level of behavior, we're going to produce well-groomed, intellectual, well-read enemies of the living Christ. 
If you don't believe what I've got to say about that, let me bring Paul Tripp into the room. And he says this, you must do all that God has called you to do. But the outcome is more complex than whether you have done the right things in the right way. Your children are responsible for the way they respond to your parenting. That addresses their heart condition quite well. If they are going to be obedient children, they have to have their heart changed by the risen Christ. Our job is to bring them to that and provide the right influences that help account for that. That's that's part of how we address our children's hearts and parenting. We account for the right influences and exclude the wrong influences, but that's not sufficient. There's a second aspect of this. Our responsibility in parenting has a second way in which we address the heart of our children, and that is to develop a Godward orientation. So it's not just enough to account for the, the influences, keeping a while out the good, putting in the, the wait, keeping out the bad, putting in the good influences, we also need to develop in our children a Godward orientation. What are they going to be worshiping? What is it that they're going to set their hearts and their affections upon? And what do they learn from doing so? Well, that begins by tending, uh, before we can tend to the children's hearts, we have to tend to our own hearts. Because as we've already established, right? We share the same condition with our children, which is this spiritual heart disease. And while our hearts may have received the life-giving treatment of Christ's atonement, the daily disciplines that are required in, in, in us to maintain that enlivened heart are no less important just because we have reached the age of maturity. I've got a family of, I've got a history of, uh, of heart disease in my family. I run long distances not because I enjoy panting and sweating and half dying on a trail somewhere, but because I'm trying to ward off physically a heart attack in my family, in my, my own life. I don't know if I'll be successful in that, but I'm at least going to put in the right things at the right time in the right way to hopefully do that. Well, no less do we have to do that with our spiritual lives as well. We've got to engage in the hard work of of the daily disciplines to maintain our enlivened heart uh, through our sanctifying process. That's not entirely dependent upon ourselves. I, I understand the sanctifying process requires and is guided by the Holy Spirit. But it's at least partly due to, upon us, a requisite upon us, to engage in that activity. The battle for us and with our children is one of wisdom versus foolishness and revelation versus suppression. Those are two separate concepts we're gonna, but are related. Let, let's look at them in turn. Proverbs 9, verses 7 through 10, reveals the battle between wisdom and foolishness. And these are great little uh, dichotomies to use in front of your children. Uh, It's good black and white stuff for us to be teaching our children and and coming to understand. But look at uh, Proverbs 9, verses 7 to 10. It says this, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the unregenerate heart is one that scoffs at correction. It hates reproof. It rejects instruction. The fool fights against correction and scoffs at those who present wisdom to him. But in contrast, the heart that is wise is marked by a welcoming of correction. It it engages reproof and examines one's own actions and, and heart behavior. It knows that instruction will yield more wisdom and an increase in learning. All of that begins in one solid place, the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One. So our task as biblical parents is to direct our little fools in the way that leads to wisdom. We train foolish hearts 
by teaching those hearts to fear the Lord who judges the deeds of man. We establish a Godward orientation in their lives, or as Ted puts it, parenting is not just providing good input. It is not just creating constructive home, a constructive home atmosphere and positive interaction between a child and his parent. There's another dimension. The child is interacting with the living God. He is either worshiping and serving and growing in understanding of the implications of who God is, or he is seeking to make sense of life without a relationship with God. Our parenting is driving out the fool with the truth of God's holiness that makes one wise. It also means pointing to God's self-revealed righteousness against the inclination of our hearts to suppress the truth and righteousness. So we've got the first set, wise versus fool. Our, our job is to drive out the fool with the conf- confrontation of the holiness of God because either they're going to come to grips with that now in this side of eternity or they're going to have to face that, that, uh, that, uh, that judging God of, of the fool in eternity future. Our job is to hope that that confrontation later on is one that says, well done, good and faithful servant, so that they avoid the eternal judgment that awaits those who who reject the wisdom of the Holy One. But it also, it it goes into this other dichotomy of uh, suppressing truth in unrighteousness. Suppression versus, uh, how did I put it? Suppression versus, I said the other thing, I can't remember. Anyway, Romans 1.18 tells us that, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Well, our our hard hearts, our our children's unregenerate hearts, the ones that they possess coming out of the womb, you remember those that are stony hearts that have not yet been operated upon by Christ to have a heart of flesh that beats within them, that have not had that spirit been put inside them to cause them to obey all that he commands? Those unregenerate hearts do not slouch towards righteousness. There's no downhill slide with the human condition that goes and just lazily goes along to arrive at some level of righteousness. Our sinful orientation, our natural orientation, our, our, our human tendency is to rebel against a holy God. And so the child that is disobeying you that morning is not, not just simply disobeying you because he doesn't like you, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, he lacks some sort of maturity. He's rebelling against the authority that God has put inside or in front of him, the rightful authority, the righteous authority that God has given you. He is, in fact, rebelling against the holy God and his precepts and his order. Our natural tendency is not merely to slouch toward a rejection of the truth. That's where we do slide away from. We actively suppress the truth, Romans says, in our unrighteous condition. Yet Paul has told us the good news in Romans 1 before he tells us the bad news in Romans 1. Paul tells us that the natural tendency of man, the natural tendency even of our children, is to suppress truth and unrighteousness, but he's given us in, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Uh, that, this is why behavior modification is in itself insufficient. We may correct today's lie with tomorrow's half-truth, but we have not yet dealt with the sinful heart that produces the dishonesty. Unless we get behind the behavior and into the pattern of the heart, we're not going to be able to address or root out those rooting condition, conditions that lead to poor behavior. We're not just merely concerned about the behavior. We're concerned about 
the eternal impact of the heart itself. And it, and it may surprise you to give, let me give you a, a, another lesson from family history here. It's going to surprise a lot of you in this room that when she was a little girl, my wife refused to eat her beans at dinner one night. Instead, she stuffed them into her pockets. She was so innocent, she didn't know how to cheat the system better than just stuffing beans into her pockets. They were later discovered by her mother, and quite appropriately, her mother required her to eat them. And of course, now they were cold, like Jonathan's meal inside the garage was, but they were also covered in sand and pocket lint, and she still had to choke those things down. Well, we look, we, we may correct, as Jenny's mother did, the hiding of beans in our pockets with our children. But if we as parents don't confront the rebellious heart that leads to such deceit, we will not correct the problem at its root. Now, thankfully, I think we all know that her parents were able to correct that little heart problem with the gospel in her life as well. Paul Tripp says it this way as well. Since it is the Godward orientation of your child's heart that determines his responses to life, you may never conclude that his problems are simply a lack of maturity. Selfishness is not outgrown. Rebellion against authority is not outgrown. These things are not outgrown. Why? Because they are not reflective of immaturity, but rather of the idolatry of your child's heart. As we seek to be biblical parents, our duty is to shepherd our child's heart. As under-shepherds of our children, we have to guard against the attacks of the wolf and provide for uh, pastures that are abundant and verdant, filled with um, fences around to keep all the predators at bay. Yes, that's all of our jobs. Those are guarding against influences, providing good influences with, with our children as well. But uh, our, our, our little lambs also have to safely graze in these pastures but we have to follow along the instructions of Psalm 23, or at least what it pictures for us. What our good shepherd is doing for each one of us as under shepherds, we ought to do for our little lambs as well. We should lead our children in paths of righteousness. That is getting deeply into the heart that our children need to have corrected, softened, removed the, removing that heart of stone, which is not what we can do. It's ultimately what Christ does, what God does, what the Holy Spirit superintends in their lives. But our job is to bring them along those still waters so that they can drink. To put them in the green pastures where they might safely graze. The article I mentioned at the beginning of, of this talk this morning in the New York Times hit upon a deeper truth than I think that even they realize or the authors could possibly have meant. At the end of their column, they end with these words. Our children are listening to what we say and watching what we do. Now, I know they got paid a lot of money to come up with a brilliant phrase like that. Our children are listening to what we say, you think, and watching what we do. Of course they are. That's true. I've already said it a couple times. They're like little satellite receivers, man. They're always set to on. They're just taking in information at all times. They will witness how we prune our own hearts how we express sorrow over our sin, whether we tend to the spiritual disciplines of one growing in Christ, whether we professed what we, whether what we profess to believe matches with how we live inside of our own homes, outside of the eyes of a watching world. And yet, we do not produce righteous children simply by their watching us tend to our own sinful hearts. They don't receive this stuff through osmosis by simply living in our homes. The hard work of parenting is getting to the heart that manifests the behavior. And in the coming weeks, we're going to unpack and look at how we marry those responsibilities of shaping the right influences of our children and managing that Godward orientation of, of their lives. 
But let's close by praying today that God will grant us the wisdom and strength needed to shepherd our children's hearts and that he will, by the power of this Holy Spirit, produce good fruit in the lives of our children that is in keeping with repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We are grateful that you have given us scripture that is useful in all things for producing godliness, uh, that it divides even to the bone and the marrow, that gets beyond just the mere flesh that is on the outside that perhaps looks good and right and true, but on the inside is decaying, is filled with a heart of stone. So, Father, would you first do a work in our hearts that you would uh, operate upon our heart condition, removing our heart of stone from our flesh and giving us a heart of flesh, Would you then put your spirit inside of us and cause us to walk in all your commandments, to obey all that you have required of us? Uh, Then would you work upon our children also? Father, we pray that these little innocent bundles of joy uh, we would see as the fools and rebels that they are, but that uh, in seeing them uh, suppressing the truth in their unrighteous state, we would see the, the prospect of of uh, a heart condition being corrected in them also, that you would operate upon their hearts and soften stony hearts, break them into hearts of flesh, that you would give them your Holy Spirit also, that apart from our own efforts, you would give them the ability to obey all that you have commanded them and cause them to walk in your statutes. This is a work, Father, less of our legalistic rule-keeping and our abilities. We're, we're not capable of creating uh, good, positive children that in an eternity will see uh, your throne. But uh, you are far more than capable of creating these children to be whom you have called them to be. You have set your predestined love upon your people. We simply ask that our children would be counted amongst them and that in the process you would help our efforts as parents to point our children to the right influences in their lives, of scripture, of a community of believers here, of doing the right things as you've called us to do them, of keeping them away from bad influences that are going to to pull them off of the the path that leads to your eternal city, Uh, but then that their hearts are oriented towards you, that they are seeing you in all that they do. May they see us pruning our own hearts, repenting of our sins, but also learn to do the same in their lives. And so, Father, produce a work of righteousness uh, not just in us, but also of our children, that you would help us to, to remove that which is sinful and replace it with that which is righteous. Give us then the fruits of the Spirit, Father, of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control, and do the same in our children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Send me your little anecdotes for next week so I can put you on the spot too.